Titus. Book of Titus chapter 3. Just a little study tonight on something I want you to pray about, something that we need, and uh, give you a little study, just kind of, you know, the Lord Jesus Christ prayed, or he said, actually, he asked us to pray that the Lord of harvest would send forth laborers. And so for 2,000 years, we're always praying for laborers, aren't we? And um, it's, it's nothing new. And as, as the church grows and we see more folks coming in, that means we need more workers. And uh, there's some couple of our classes that probably need to be split at some point. They're getting too big for their rooms, and, and if they have a fellowship, they're overwhelming different places. And so we need, to, we need to consider that, but we need workers to be able to do that. We need bus workers. We need Sunday school workers. We need all kinds of things in the church. And uh, our two Franks cut the grass. One of them is in the 70s. One's in their 80s. And I'll let you guess which is which. But uh, they can't do that forever. And uh, so we, we need more laborers. We need people to volunteer. We used to have probably four or five guys cut all these lawns, and now it's down to two. And so it's, that means more labor for them and more work. So we're trying to buy them a shiny new tractor to make it go faster for them. But uh, still, you have to have the manpower to run it. And so we need laborers, and I just make no apology for saying that. And uh, so let's, let's look at tonight. There's, there's a reminder in Scripture and, and Paul is talking to Titus. Titus was left behind on the island of Crete. And um, the Bible says about the people in Crete is that they were evil and they were slow bellies. You know, anybody know what that means? Slow be- bellies? It means they were kind of guttural in their language. They were rude people. And uh, it's just who they were. As a matter of fact, maybe some of you ladies have called your husbands Cretans. Well, that's where it comes from. They had a reputation uh, of being rude and immature. And, and so it was a tough area to plant churches. And Titus was left behind to do that. And then he says in chapter 3, Titus chapter 3, he gives them some reminders. He says, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work. It's interesting that Paul did not give the same instructions to every church that he wrote to. You ever notice that? There are times in the Bible, book of Romans chapter 13, we see that he's to, we're to obey those that are in authority over us. And we see in other passages of scripture uh, that we're to honor the king and things like that. But not every single church. To the church at Corinth, he talked to them about immorality and different things like that. And so it seems like when Paul says something, it's very pointed, it's obviously, it's for everybody. It's for our consumption as well. But as he says it, he's, he's making a point with them. Hey, you've got a problem with this. And so I'm writing a letter specifically to your church that you can deal with these things. And so if you think about it, these, these, these Cretans that were from the island of Crete, they were struggling with authority. And that makes sense. Any type of rebellious people, that's normally what happens. And so he says, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, to be, every, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, 
to be no brawlers, but gentle, showing all meekness unto all men. And so we start to see what, what he means by slow bellies and, and evil speakers. And these were the ones that, that were brawling and fighting. And think about a, uh, maybe if you uh, came out of the world and, and what, what it was like before you got saved and kind of that, that conflict in your life all the time. And, and so he says, they speak evil one another, they brawl. And he says, but so now instruct them to be gentle and meek unto one another. Verse 3, for we ourselves also were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But after that, the kindness and love of our God, our Savior, toward man appeared. And so he's just making the point that Christ can change these behaviors. When the grace of God appeared unto us, he changed us, and he can do the same for you. Verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Let's pray. Father, help us tonight. Lord, as we look to your word, I pray that the Spirit of God would teach us and strengthen us and help us. And Lord, perhaps the Wednesday night crowd are already serving. I understand that. But Lord, I pray that they would join me in prayer for more labors and that they might take what they learned tonight to remind others how important it is to be servants in the local church. So, Lord, may the Spirit of God speak to us, we pray, and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And so, of course, Paul is writing to Titus, who I've already mentioned that he left behind on this island of Crete to put some things in order. And he says there are some things, if you look at verse 8, this is interesting. This is a faithful saying, and these things I write that thou, what are those next two words? Affirm constantly. Affirm constantly. What are they? that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. Uh, I, I feel like sometimes as a pastor, that's what we do. We're affirming constantly we need laborers. We need help. We need bus workers. We need Sunday school teachers. And so Paul said to Titus, you got to keep affirming that. Just keep mentioning it over and over again. Maintain good works. Be faithful. Serve the Lord. Keep following. Keep going forward. And, you know, it's, it's one of those things. I, I remember when the kids were younger, and, and every once in a while I'd have to say, not every once in a while, but every week, I'd have to say, okay, boys, go cut the grass. And then six, seven days roll around, and they'd say, boys, go cut the grass. And then I'd, I'd leave it on purpose to see if they'd notice, and they'd get up to about their knees. And I'd say, boys, go cut the grass. And the hope and the desire is that one day you just see them out cutting the grass without being asked. But that doesn't usually happen with teenage boys. The thing is, is in the church, Paul is saying to Titus, we, we, you have to affirm these things constantly because as a people, we don't just always want to serve like we ought to. I'll tell you the truth, that that's the same with me. You know, I, I always say the lazy boy always feels most comfortable Tuesday right before visitation. It's always comfortable when you get home from work and you know you got to go out again and it's, it's just you want to sink in and relax. And, and so we, we have to motivate ourselves by the word of God. 
And so he says there's some things that we need to be reminded of. Now, here's the thing. The scripture doesn't often say things twice. A lot of comments are passing, and a lot of commands are given once, and the Lord Jesus Christ said it once, or an apostle said it once, but there are some things that Paul has said over and over again, and so when he says it, he wants us to take notice. For example, he wrote to the people of Philippi about avoiding the teaching of false doctrine and salvation and justification by works, and he said it three different times in the epistle, how important it was to avoid false doctrine. Paul told Timothy to remind his charge that in the latter days some would follow after seducing spirits and doctrines of devils that he should put the brethren in remembrance of these things. And if he did that, he would be a good minister of Jesus Christ. So there's a couple things there. One, he says, remind them. And then he says, put them in remembrance. You know what that implies? He's already told them once, at least once. You, you can't remind somebody of something they don't already know. You can't bring it to remembrance if it's not already in their memory. And so he's saying you need to tell them again and tell them again and tell them again. I'm reminded in Exodus chapter 19 when Moses went up the mountain to, to receive the Ten Commandments and God said, go tell the people not to look upon the mountain, not to touch the mountain, not to try to break through and gaze upon me. And, and Moses went down, he told the people and he went back up and said, okay, God, they say, whatever you said, we'll do. He says, go down and tell them again and this time put barriers around the mountain. And so Moses did that and he came back up the mountain. He's 80 years old running up and down this mountain. And he says, okay, God, we put barriers around. He says, now go tell them if they try to break through the barriers, I'll shoot them dead with an arrow. That's what he said. I'll shoot them through with an arrow. And so Moses went down, he told the people, and he came back up. And, and he says, okay. He says, now go tell the people one more time. He says, but God, they, they, we put barriers and you've threatened them and you've given them your word. And he says, I don't care. Go down and tell them. And so he says, we're sometimes hard-headed. And we've got to be reminded over and over again. And so Moses was instructed by God to keep reminding the Israelites. And how many times do we read in Scripture that God told the Israelites that they should have no other gods before them? Over and over again. And so when the Word of God mentions something more than one time, it's extremely important that we give it its significance. So Paul says to Titus, I want you to affirm this constantly. I'm just going to look at three things. Look at the first one. What is it? Verse 8. Affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful. Just stop there for a moment. Let's just break that down for a minute. They which have believed in God is, is the audience. Those who are saved. Those which have believed in God. We believe in the local church that is an assembly of saved and baptized believers. That's what we believe. And so those that serve in the local church are the members of the local church in the sense that they know the Lord Jesus Christ, they've put their faith in him, and they've been baptized in the membership of the local church. And so Paul says, these are, this is who I'm addressing. These are who we will draw our workers from. He says, these are the ones that need to maintain these good works. They are those that have believed in God. And then he says that they might be careful. They might be careful. That's interesting because in Philippians chapter 4, he tells us to be careful for nothing. But now he tells us to be careful. And so how do we rectify that or how do we put that together? Well, let's, I'm just going to read it to you real quick and see if we can see the difference. It's the context that makes the difference. Philippians 4 says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech you, Odious, and I beseech Syntyche. 
that they be of the same mind in the Lord. I'll just pause there as we're reading through this. You know, the church of Philippi was one of the churches that we don't see a lot of trouble in. They were the ones that communicated under Paul. In other words, they sent him missionary offerings. They tried to help him out. Uh, there was times in the church of Philippi we see good things happening. Uh, a matter of fact, Warren Wearsby has, has a, a set of commentaries on every book in the New Testament, and he labels them all. It's called the B series, be this, be that. And Philippians is be joyful, be joyful, because it's just that kind of book. And, and they were a joyful people, and they loved to serve, and they loved to give, and they loved to help. But notice what it says in verse 2, I beseech you, Odious, and beseech Syntyche, that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women. And so those were women's names, believe it or not, Odious and Syntyche. And I don't know if we we're picking those names today or not, but there was an obvious divide among them. They were not on the same page in ministry. He says, I, I, I'm begging her and I'm begging her. I'm begging you, Iotis, and I'm begging Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. You know, we can't serve. The Bible says this, an ox and an ash shall not plow together because they'll just yank in different directions. And so we can't have that. We have to have unity in the church. And he says, and I'm treating the also true yoke fellow, those who are joined together in this, help these women. He says, get behind them and help them and get them on the same page. And look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. So he says in this passage, be careful for nothing. I don't want you to worry about things. Don't be full of care. But we go back to Titus. He says, I need you to be careful about some things. And so how do we rectify those? Well, the first one in Philippians is he's saying, don't worry about the things that God provides. Be careful for nothing, but by everything, by prayer and supplication. In other words, we are going to God. We're praying, we're seeking God, we're asking God to supply our needs, so we don't need to worry about those things. Those things that God will take care of us, our daily bread, our, our shelter, all those things, there's no need to worry because God is in control. But God says in Titus chapter 2 or 3, there are some things we need to care about that we need to be concerned over. And those are the things that we can control. And so what are we to be careful about? Believers are to be careful about this, to maintain good works. To maintain good works. And so you ever met somebody who just doesn't care about anything? That, that's trouble, really. We ought to have a desire to serve the Lord. We ought to have a care about it that we're, we, we take pride in the things that we do for the Lord. And, and so now we're told to be careful. And so we must care about the things the Lord puts in our lives. This verse speaks of our responsibility. It's, it's the thing that God cares about, Paul cares about, and he wants us to care about it as well. So if we simply would love the Lord and follow the responsibility placed upon us, here's what he says. Here's what he says. Lord Jesus Christ, come unto me, all the you that labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And he says, take my yoke upon you. It's not a call to be lazy. A yoke is a, a, was to put on a beast of burden to work, to serve. The thing is, when we get yoked up with the Lord Jesus Christ, he does all the pulling. So it's not laborious. The Bible says you'll give us rest. 
And he'll strengthen us and he'll help us through those things. And so we're not to be lazy in the ministry. We are to serve and to work in the ministry. And so Paul says, I want you to be careful about maintaining good works. And so let's look at that next phrase, to maintain good works. The word maintain here literally means to set a guard over, to be a superintendent over, and to make priority. To guard it. So it's something that we are to take pride in. But notice what it says. It says, good works. Now we have to define what good is, don't we? A lot of times we see, uh, Brother Judge sent me a, a program from the weekend, and he said, I was just looking around at some other churches, and, and he, says, um, he says, there was this uh, Easter program. And he says, I'll, I'll send it to you to see what you think. And I, I don't want to criticize other churches doing the best they could, but here, here's something I've learned. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. You understand what I mean? Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And it was thrown together. The choir didn't even know the words to the songs, and they were all singing at different times out of sync. And it was just, you just wondered, did they ever practice, or did they just open a book and stand up there and start singing? And then, and then there was a play that went on, and it was just, it was chaos. Kids running everywhere. They had animals and all the rest, and the animals were messing on the stage. And, and I mean, I'm not making that up. They literally messed on the stage, and people were laughing. And then the one animal took off across the, uh, through the auditorium, and people were screaming. And I mean, it was just absolute chaos. And you, you got to think that those things would happen. And, and so what is, and, and you know, at the end, people stood and they applauded. Oh, it was so good. It was so wonderful. And I thought, what is good? Well, we have to look at good from God's standard. It's not about what we want. And sometimes we, we get in the ministry with somebody and we have ideas and plans and things of what we think should happen, but we really need to refer to the Word of God and say, what does God want? And if God wants it, then it's good. And, and so, you know, there's, there's times I, I know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm my own worst critic and so anytime after I preach, I tell my wife I'm the most vulnerable after I preach because that's when the devil likes to attack, right? And I, I, just, I just feel, I don't know, I feel like, oh man, I blew it, messed up. And I just feel beaten up myself and, and, uh, and just think, man, I, I could have said that differently. I could have said that better, you know, whatever. I forgot mom's birthday. I should have said that, you know, something like that. But uh, I just, and I beat myself up. But then somebody gets saved. And it doesn't matter, it wasn't about me. It's a good work just because somebody got saved. It doesn't matter what I said or what I did. There have been times where you know the Lord is moving in a service and it doesn't matter. Sometimes the preacher could get up and say, Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall and the altars will fill. Because the Spirit of God's already moving before that ever happens. It's not about the person. It's about the good work. And so we are to maintain those good works as defined by the Word of God. Look, if you will, in James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Verse 17. Even so, faith, if it is not if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. If we say we have faith, we ought to have works to go along with it. Not unto salvation, but because of our salvation. 
We ought to want to serve the Lord. Matthew puts it this way, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. I don't need to beat the word good to death because we know the difference between right and wrong, I would hope. We know what is good and what is positive and what is helping other people. Now, when I think of that word maintaining good works, it makes me think there must be a tendency to lay off. There must be a tendency in our lives to say we won't do as much as we used to do. And I understand, I understand getting older, not able to keep the same schedule I once did, perhaps, or whatever. But I, 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 I tire sometimes of meeting people in the community. So I used to. I used to go to Bethel, or I used to do this, or I used to serve in the church. And as a matter of fact, this young lady that got saved down here that's been sitting on the front row the last few weeks, Tracy, she says, I came to Bethel as a bus kid years ago. She says, my grandparents did everything at Bethel 50 years ago. So they told me, some of you might remember the Hammond family. And she says they were involved in everything. She says, my dad, my grandpa was once a deacon and they, they counted offering and they did all kinds of stuff in church, taught Sunday school classes. And she says, but by the time they died, she says, they were nowhere to be found in the church. She says, I remember when they died, she says, they didn't go to church at all. And it's sad, isn't it, that we used to be I remind her what the Lord says, that he, behold, I come quickly, my reward is with me to reward them for what I find them doing. Present tense. It's not in the past. So let's maintain, let's set a guard over it, and, and let's not fall off, especially as we see the days approaching that the Lord is returning. And you say, why? Look what it says in Titus chapter 3, the last part of that verse. These things are good and profitable unto men. That phrase in the Greek is in the first person. What that means is it's profitable unto you, the one doing the works. It's profitable unto others, obviously. If you're going to help people and be a blessing and teach a class or run a bus or whatever, you're going to help people. But this phrase literally means when it's good and profitable unto men, that by doing good works, it's good and profitable unto you. There's a blessing of God. You can't outgive God. And so normally we think it has to do with, the, with helping others, and it does. But the word good here means to bring honor upon yourself, to bring honor. It is good and profitable. And so look at verse 9, what these things help us avoid. But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and vain. You ever wonder why that, that's all in that same passage, same paragraph? You ever heard the phrase, idle hands or the devil's workshop? He's basically saying, you get busy about good works and you'll avoid foolish questions and genealogies and all these other things. These, all these, so you just say, listen, I'm too busy for that. I'm serving the Lord. I don't need to. How many of you remember the story of Nehemiah? He was invited down to the plains of Ono to meet with those other fellows that wanted, he said, but they sought to do me harm. And he said, I cannot come down because I am doing a good work. I am doing a good work. And what he was basically saying is, I'm going to avoid all that foolishness because I'm just going to keep serving the Lord. I'm going to keep moving forward. A man that is a heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that issueth is subverted and sinneth, uh, being condemned of himself. That's where all those foolish questions and things lead. 
We start getting off on tangents. We waste our time on things that don't matter when we could be serving the Lord. And so God has said to us, maintain, be careful to maintain good works. There's a great importance in God's word to doing good works, and we are commanded to do acts of obedience, to follow and serve. And what we need when we say servants is we need both submitted servants and we also need servant leaders. Submitted servant is one that will come and say, what can I do? And they don't have an agenda of their own, but they're willing to submit themselves to learn and to grow and to apply themselves just simply to do the work. But then we need servant leaders that will step up and lead with the heart of service, not to lord over God's heritage, but to lead people in proper spiritual service. So would you pray with me that we, we, we need workers in every area, and we always have and we always will, but we need some now, and we need to see God bless us in that area. And, and so that's, that's a massive amount of discipleship right now. We have a lot of people right now doing discipleship programs uh, that you wouldn't even know about during the day, here, there, and everywhere. We're meeting with people and going through discipleship, hoping to grow them into servants in the local church and help them get plugged in in some place. How else can you help? Invite somebody. This Sunday night, we have our connection groups. And if you know of somebody in the church that's not plugged in, invite them to come to that. That's why we have those Sunday nights once in a while, just so that we can get people into a connection group and get them into a Sunday school class. Because in a Sunday school class, they'll grow, they'll learn doctrine, and then eventually become servants. And so invite somebody. You see somebody that looks lonely, tell them to come over to your connection group. And wherever that might be on this Sunday night, it's a great opportunity to help somebody get plugged in and get involved, all right?